Welcome to the Metro Church Podcast. We hope you will be blessed by this message. For more information about Metro Church, visit our website at metrochurch.org.au. So as Pastor Jeff mentioned, uh, this is by design. A little bit sad, our last Sunday of this. We've got great stuff coming up in March, so don't shed too many tears. Uh, but it's my privilege to just close out uh, this focused month that we've had on by design. And really, it's about finding out how God has gifted each and every one of us uniquely and the things that he has for us. And that means every single one, uh, not just the gifted, not just the outgoing, not just the popular people, absolutely everybody. There's stuff for every single one of us uh, that God wants us to do. So I've got a title here, which is called Developing Your Gifts and Abilities. That's the overall message of tonight. And I'm going to kick off then with my first point here, which is serving equals doing. Serving equals doing. And I'm going to kick off uh, with our first Bible reading. This is in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 10, which says, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. So as we're focusing on uh, serving and gifts and abilities, it's all about the serving. You don't get to use your gift and ability without using them. And the way that we use them is through serving. So in thinking about serving, let's have another look, another scripture here. Uh, This is Mark chapter 10 and verse 45. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And the rest of the verse continues on. But that's the most critical part there. The Son of Man, that's Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve. So he sets the example right there, that he wants us to be engaged and doing things for him. And uh, there's this amazing promise, which I'll read and then I'll tell you about it. This is uh, John chapter 12 and verse 26. Now, make sure you do take note of these uh, verses because not all of these could fit in the handbook that you've actually got. I love quoting lots of scripture so that it's not just me about the latest ideas that popped into my head. I'm exploring the Bible with you. So please make note of the references because they're not all in your workbooks there. I know that. So John 12, 26, whoever serves me must follow me and where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. There is an amazing truth hidden in that scripture. Well, actually, it's not really hidden, but maybe you haven't seen it before. And it's this. If you want to get close to Jesus, serve him. If you're feeling not a real great connection with God, not incredibly close, then check your serving levels. Are you serving things? Are you doing things for God? Are you looking for ways in which you can interact with him and his people? Because that Bible promises the truth that if you serve him, you will be right there with him. So the best way to get close to Jesus is to serve him. And if you're doing it for God, then you are actually serving him. Now, of course, serving or volunteering, you might refer to it in that uh, particular uh, terminology. If you're not used to a church sense, everyone understands what volunteering uh, is all about. And for most people, when, when they get, uh, I suppose when they're receiving, if someone is serving them or if someone is volunteering them, most people are pretty happy about that because it normally means you're doing something that they need or that they would actually like. So it's generally a, quite a, a receptive audience. And that's great to do that, but you can even maximise that if you're looking for opportunities to serve God and to do things for him and for his purposes. And uh, there's so many scriptures here. Let me throw another one out to you. This is 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 3 and verse 4 to 5. It's not going to come up on the screen, but I want to read this for you. Such confidence we have through Christ before God, not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, 
but our competence comes from God. So what that's talking about then, that if you're wanting to do things from God, then you can trust him, that he will enable you, he will equip you, and you will be able to do those things for him through him. It's when we don't do things through him, we can kind of fall flat on our face. Um, But when you rely on him and you push into him, then whatever you're doing, God is going to certainly touch that and he was going to equip you. He wouldn't call you to do something if he didn't equip you to it. He's not a practical joker. So in this first point of serving equals doing, I've got a passage of scripture here for you. Um, This is Matthew chapter 15 and it's verses 21 through to 28. And uh, you might have read this story before in the Bible, and it can seem pretty harsh, and I suppose it is at a certain level. But I want to dig beneath that and show you what are some of the other reasons why this passage of the Bible is in here. So picking it up in verse 21. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, Send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, It is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. So there's the shock factor when you go, wow, listen to how he spoke to that person, that poor woman. She just wanted some healing on here. What we see in here is that Jesus was focused on doing the Father's will. And of course, there's nothing wrong in that. Absolutely, that's what we would expect. However, the sidebar here, this woman saw a greater purpose and she challenged Jesus on that as well. Jesus didn't deny the truth of the bigger picture. How do we know that? Because he healed her, her daughter. So the bigger picture prevailed, her faith prevailed. And so what she asked for it, and what she asked Jesus for, it was not contrary to God's nature. There was a healing need, and that's definitely a God thing. And so Jesus, in body, responded to that. So we see Jesus' focus, it's still there, but he looks at the bigger picture also. Some of us could see this as a distraction, and initially it might seem like a distraction, but it isn't really if it's still along the lines of God's will. And that's the key thing. You know, we can be doing something for God, be focused on that, and uh, maybe I'm the only person this happens to, but then something comes along and you think, well, hang on, I wasn't in my mindset to do this. I'm trying to do something else. Or it might even be that response in your mind that Lisa goes, well, that's not my gifting. That's not my calling. And there is such the temptation to just go, well, it must be someone else. Surely someone else can attend to this issue. You know what? I think that if an issue comes your way, it's come your way. And if you can respond to it, you should respond to it. If you can help in any way, you should help in any way. Because I see Jesus had a plan and a vision. Someone came along with an apparent interruption. But in a whole scheme of things, it was still part of God's plan that those things happen. So how about we trust God that if something's come your way, it's come your way for a reason. And you could be the very person that needs to respond to those things. It could be the the next big thing. You just don't know what that is going to be. It can, you know, we have in our minds sometimes that the things of God needs to look like this, this and this. It's got to be packaged in such a way. 
Well, who are we to determine how God delivers something to us, whether it's got red packaging, white packaging, a bow or not? If it's come from God, and as long as it's not against his kingdom purpose, then why don't you faith and go, okay, God, I'm going to take this out for a spin and see what happens. And if nothing much happens, okay, not a problem. But if it does, wow, amazing things can happen as a result of that. So while we're talking about all the gifts and abilities uh, and those sorts of things, really our responses should be the first thing that Jesus is actually looking for. You know, when he called many disciples... He didn't ask them for their resume. He didn't say, what are your gifts and your abilities? He didn't bring out a spiritual assessment and say, hey, hop online, find out what your gifts are. He just said, come follow me. He didn't give any prerequisites. He didn't want to know anything about them other than their ability, their willingness to follow him. That was the criteria he was looking for. An open heart is what he wants. The rest is just what you bring. But the first thing you bring is your heart and your responsiveness to him. So we can focus on the gifts and the abilities. That's great. That's the after bit. The first bit is saying yes to Jesus. The first bit is responding to him. And then let God determine the things that he will actually get you to be a part of. And of course, he wants to, where there are so many parables that talk in the Bible about God wanting great returns. So he's going to want a great return from the things that he's deposited in your life. So he'll be wanting to work on those things as much as possible. But the yes is the best thing that you can do. Here's another thing about serving God. It's not seasonal. What do I mean by that? Well, it's not just for this week. It's not just for next week. It's not just for the year 2020. It's for ages 1 to 101 or beyond that, depending on how long you are actually going to live. Why do I know that? Well, it's because Jesus died for me. And I'm pretty sure that uh, the prayer that you pray typically when you come to Jesus is something along the lines of, Lord, I give you my life. Not I give you the next six months. Jesus gave his life. He didn't give us six months worth or two years. He didn't give us a five-year plan. He gave us his entire life for our entire lives. So I kind of think that's what we should be giving him in return. If anyone's married here, you would hopefully know this. You're not married only on Monday to Friday. And you're not married between the hours of 9am to 5pm. You are married all of the time. So as a Christian, you are a Christian 24-7. And we are called to follow Christ as a disciple every single day, 24-7, every single day. Whether we feel like it or not, whether we think it's the right moments or not, God's wanting something in, in and through us every single day. Okay, there's your warm-up. That's point number one. Uh, serving equals doing. On to point number two, Passion your natural motivator. And uh, here's a, uh, I suppose, a preacher preparation snippet for you. When I was going through this and when I got to this second point, I thought, passion, oh my goodness, this whole subject is my passion. Um, and to only be able to talk you know, for the 30 or so minutes tonight has been a real struggle because I would love to talk all night because there's so much that I would love to be able to unpack to you. And at a very high level, that's what passion is about. What's the thing that you won't stop talking about? That's the best indicator that that is what you are passionate about. Now, this isn't the only thing, but I absolutely love helping people understand the giftings and the callings that God has got on their lives. Because when you understand how he's wired you, when you understand what he's put inside of you, you can become so more effective for him and you enjoy it so much more. You absolutely love it more. Uh, you know, there's some, some other things that I love doing as well. And I say to people, look, this is not work at all. 
I mean, I might get tired and need sleep like everybody else, but when you are passionate about something, that's the stuff that energizes you. That's the stuff that just fires you, and uh, they've got to, I don't know, drag you off the stage almost to uh, keep you quiet. So we'll see how we go, Pastor Jeff, <laughs> if I'm still here at midnight. <laughs> okay, so let's kick off with our first verse here, uh, Psalm 37, verses 3 to 5. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will do this. This is one of my favorite verses. I love it. And I want to focus in on verse 4 there that says, Take delight in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. Let me break it down really simply for you. God created you. Therefore, if you've got desires in your heart, he is the one who placed them there. And I know for a lot of people, um, when they're exploring what they are passionate about and what God's placed in their heart, sometimes there can be this level of embarrassment. It's like, oh, I don't want to say anything, but I've got a real feeling about this and I'd like to do this. And they're almost apologizing for it. Like, I mean, I get a level of humility and that's fine. That's a good godly attribute to have. But don't be so embarrassed about the things that God has placed inside of you. Of course, exercise some wisdom. Maybe don't go blurting it out to every person. You don't want people to you know, make fun of you. But certainly for yourself, treasure that in your heart because God has created you. And if he's placed those things in your heart, they're there for a reason. He hasn't given them to the person next to you. He's given them to you for you to do and work through your life. Here's a follow-on scripture for this. This is 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verses 20 to 21. In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes and some for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. That tells me, make yourself available to God. That's how you get close to him. Uh, Be open and prepared to serve him wherever your passion might be leading you. So speaking of passion, I'm going to take a trip uh, back over to the Old Testament to see a guy who was incredibly passionate. Uh, This is Nehemiah. So we're going to kick off. There's a few passages of Scripture that I'm going to just pull out of here. You can read the whole book of Nehemiah, which is a long one, a little bit later. So I'm just glossing over a few key uh, passages just to show you what I want to explain to you tonight. So we'll start off with Nehemiah chapter 1 and verses 1 to 4. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakliah, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel in Susa. That's the important stuff. No, just joking. Um, and I know one of my brothers came from Judah with some other men and questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province and are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. That's someone where an issue has touched his heart. He's clearly passionate about that. And what's he doing? The best thing you can do with passion. He's going to God and saying, God, you've placed this burden here. What's this all about? What can I do? And God, what do you want me to do? And God, how can you help in this situation? So we now pick this up in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 17. This is where he's now addressing some of his fellow people. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. 
So he's allowed the burden and the passion from God to go on his heart. He's gone to God and said, what can we do? Between the passage of time here, he's clearly been thinking about this. He's got some plans and he's gathered some faithful people around him. He says, I've got a plan. Let's go and do this. Let's go and repair the wall. So let me ask you this. What burdens your heart? What ignites your passion? Those are the things that you need to come before God in prayer and say, God, I'm not sure where this is going to lead, but here it is, and ask him for direction. Let's pick up the, the story continuing on, this time across to Nehemiah chapter 6 and verses 1 to 3. Then the word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies, that I had rebuilt the wall, and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not yet set the doors in the gates. Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message, Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me. So I sent messages to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? You know what I see in here? Beware of discouragement and beware of distractions. And traps, of course, but really discouragement. He had the mindset, no, I'm doing a great work here. And don't let people despise what you are doing. They might not appreciate that it is a great work for you. Some could say, well, he was just building a wall. It wasn't just any wall. He was just laying bricks. No, he wasn't. He was rebuilding the city. And so be careful of those things. Focus on the task at hand. Not everyone is going to cheer you on. That's okay. It's not their passion. It's yours. Um, But uh, always have the passion before you. So what does passion look like? Like I mentioned, basically, think about this. If somebody knew you well enough, how would they describe you? What would be some of the things they would say about you? And I'm not talking about the colour of your hair, not necessarily even the job that you do, because sometimes your job is just a job. It provides income, which you need that. But if they knew you as a person, what would they say really ignites you? What are you really interested in? What would you love to do? You know, the, I suppose the whole thing of, you know, if you won lotto, what would you do? I saw this terrible advert on television recently about that. And this couple, I hope it was make-believe, they said, oh, we'd sleep in. It's like, wow, (laughs) there's life purpose, you'd sleep in. Don't you want to do a little bit more than sleep in? Uh, But, you know, if you didn't have to work for income and you had all the time available to you, what would you love to do? Maybe think about it from this perspective. If you could do something and know that you wouldn't fail or you had all the resources available, you had all the time, you had all the energy, you had all the skills, what is it that you would like to do? That's going to start getting you closer to the things that you are passionate about. It's unlikely that it would be an answer, hopefully, of just sleep in because that doesn't require much thought at all. So be thinking along those lines. You know, what would I absolutely love to do? And then ask God for ideas and then dip your toe in the water and just start down that path of the things that you think you might be leading you into. Now, passion does require a level of focus and clarity. It's not all automatic. It does require work. Um, and it requires you to be a little bit specific as well. It's interesting that um, we run our course called uh, EFM, Equip for Ministry, which we just started last week. Um, it's a two-week course, so you're welcome to come and do the next one. Otherwise, it's not great to come halfway through. But one of the things we go through there is a passion assessment. And um, we do a, a series of questions to help people with this. And when there's a larger group, I normally go around the room and just get people who are brave enough to just say, you know, what do I think they're passionate about? And the conversation starts off with very top-level generic things, which I understand. It's things like, I want to help people. Okay, great. 
but that's pretty broad because there's something like six billion people on the planet. So can we narrow this down a bit? What sort of people would you like to help? Oh, those that have got health issues. Okay, great, we're getting there. And what sort of health issues do you think? You know what I mean? So you can just make a general thing. Well, that's going to be kind of like ready, fire, aim. If you don't know what you're aiming for, you're not going to hit the target. But if you can be a little bit more specific about what you are passionate about and start to zoom in on it, then you will be a lot more effective at doing that. So start somewhere and allow God to direct you. Don't try and do the whole, until I know exactly what it is, then I'm not going to start. Well, you won't go anywhere. You just won't. It's like steering a car. You've got to have forwards momentum and then allow God to be able to direct you along the lines. Passion also requires commitment for the long haul. It's not just when you're motivated. I'd love to tell you that the stuff that I'm passionate about, it's like that for me 24-7. The second I open my eyes, I'm there until the moment I close my eyes. No, not every day. I get tired like the rest of you. But if you are committed to it for the long haul, then the little tiny blips, they're just that. They're little tiny blips along the way, and then you get focused back on track. We all get highs and lows in life, but when you've got a commitment to what you are passionate about, then God will help you with that. All right, so that's point number two, passion, your natural motivator. Point number three, we are all equipped, and we absolutely are. Here's just a small sample of passage from the Bible to show you some of the many giftings, which includes all of us in here, that are in the Bible. This is Romans chapter 12 and verses 6 to 10. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Now, as I mentioned, that's just a selection of the gifts on there. But I notice a couple of things in here. The first one, the obvious one, is that it lists off some gifts. But it doesn't just say you've got this gift, great. Bury it, wrap it up, stuff it under the bed and just, you know, hold tight. It actually immediately says, if it is this, do something with it. If it is that, do something with it. So God clarifies the gifts that are in each of us. And he then tells us immediately to use them. There's no time delay here. It's not like, oh, in six months' time and in a year's time, and once you're married and once you finish your studying or anything like that, there are no timelines here. It is, this is the gift. If you've got this gift, then use it. And how do you know that you are ready to start using the gift? God's given it to you, so you are ready. You've come out of the oven pre-cooked already in regards to the gifts. If God's given them to you, then you're good to go. And we're just missing out if you're not using your gifts. Um, and so the kingdom. So uh, use them because they are there, ready to go right from day one. And if you're not sure that we should use them, here's another scripture that's going to burst your bubble. So if ever you came to a church like this and you didn't know that you had to use them, sorry in advance, but really you can take it up with God because he wrote this. This is Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 16. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. There is so much in there. From him, the whole body, that's us. We're often referred to as the body of Christ. So every single one of us 
is part of that body. We're joined and we're held together by every supporting ligament. That's why church is so important. That's why Christian fellowship and and connection is so important. We support one another. We hold one another up. We have prayer requests. We do that because we are a body of believers. If one of us suffers, all of us actually suffer, if not just in emotional and sympathy ways, in other ways that maybe we'll never know this side of heaven. But the Bible tells us that we are all joined together and we do that. We're meant to grow constantly. There's so much in here. We're meant to constantly grow as Christians, constantly grow as believers, not stagnate. Anything that stagnates actually doesn't even stay that way. It goes backwards and eventually dies. So we are meant to constantly grow. And here's how we do it, in love. Well, that's the hard one, really is. But when you're doing it with the right attitude, you've got a better opportunity of bringing out that thing in love. And the final thing there, at the end of uh, that verse 16, as each part does its work, not some parts, That really means every part. As each part does its work, not thinks about it, not plans, not dreams, not comes up with a a whole project plan, but actually does its work. So it's all about the doing, which means the now part of it. So there's no holidays for us Christians, but it's not work either. It's just constantly what God wants us to be part of. Here's another amazing passage of scripture. So if ever you thought, yeah, but I'm not too sure about all this stuff and I was involved before and, I don't know, somebody, you know, I upset somebody or they upset me or it didn't work out all that well and I think I'm useless and God's not going to ever use me again, let me encourage you with this next passage of scripture. This is Romans chapter 11, verse 29, and this may be one of the shortest Bible verses you've ever seen go up on a screen within a message. For God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. That's it. God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. But there is so much in that. So much. God created us at birth. So he put those gifts in our lives. And they are irrevocable. That means they're in here forever. He can't and he will not take them back. Whatever he's placed inside of us stays there forever they can't be taken away if we don't use them they're still there if we use them they're still there if we misuse them they're still there if someone upsets us they're still there if we get discouraged they're still there if we failed at different times they are still there no matter what you've done no matter what your experiences are the gifts and the abilities that God has placed inside of you they are there until the day you die and God doesn't make mistakes he knew what he was doing when he placed all of those things inside of every single one of us. So you can trust in him that even though you might think the well has dried up and the opportunities aren't there anymore, they most absolutely are. God wants to utilize you. He's invested so much in you. He's given his son Jesus. Don't you think he wants to get something back and have you enjoy the journey along the way? He most absolutely does. God is the one who created us. Let's have a look at another scripture in case you didn't know all this amazing stuff was in the Bible. Uh, This is Psalm 137 and verses 13 to 14, which says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Look, maybe someone has told you the exact opposite of that. Well, that's not truthful. This is the truth. This is the word of God. 
God has created every single one of us. He thinks you're absolutely amazing. He's placed incredible things inside of you and he will never take those things away from you. I think how we see ourselves is reasonably important. Um, It's interesting, uh, my wife Robin, she's one of six children. And um, it's interesting when people ask, when there's that many children in a family, uh, the question normally is like, you know, where are you in the pecking order? You know, what sort of level are you within the family? And she always says this, she says, I'm third from the top, which is true. But you know, it's also true because there are six kids. She's also third from the bottom, but she doesn't say I'm third from the bottom. Two of them are twins, by the way, so they count as the same age. She doesn't say I'm third from the bottom. She doesn't even say I'm the middle. She says I'm third from the top. Now, they're all mathematically correct. But one of them speaks loudly about attitude. This, the one that says, I'm third from the top. So what's your mindset? Are you third from the top in, in God's kingdom? You most absolutely are. So we're meant to not despise ourselves. We're meant to love ourselves the way that God loves us. And the Bible talks about that also. Right here in Matthew 22, verses 37 to 39, which says... Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbour as yourself. So God loves us. We need to accept ourselves and love ourselves as well. And, you know, in, in what I get to do, the privilege of, I just hear so many times people say, I hate myself. I think, oh my goodness, that's so terrible. You hate yourself. Just That's not the way that God wants us to be. He wants us to have a positive self-image about ourselves in the way that God sees us, not in what the world might say is positive self-image, as in don't give a rip and act like you're the world's greatest thing. It's about having the right perspective, but God tells us that he wants us to love ourselves the way that he loves us also. That's a good godly attitude to have. And another passage of scripture that also talks about that, and this is great because it helps centre that, yeah, but what if I go too far and I think I'm better than everyone else? Well, this will help you. Galatians chapter 6, verses 4 to 5. And this is from the message. So I love looking at different versions of the Bible sometimes because it just gives you a different perspective. Make careful exploration of who you are and the work you have been given and then sink yourself into that. Don't be impressed with yourself. Don't compare yourself with others. Each of you must take responsibility for doing the creative best you can with your own life. So there's a lot in there. It talks about the fact that we're all equipped. It talks about the fact that we should all try and do. It also warns us to not be proud or conceited, but of course not to hate ourselves either. And of course to not compare. So there's some great things in there. Fantastic. That's my third point. We're all equipped. We're coming around the end. So creative team, if you could come back, please, that'd be great. So that was point three. We're all equipped. And the last point here, one plus one equals infinity. Interesting little title there, isn't it? Let us explore that. And uh, there's, there's a big chunk of scripture here to have a look at, but you'll see why. This is John chapter six and verses one to 12. So take a deep breath as you read on with me. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is, the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. 
Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy food for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, It will take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will that go among so many? Jesus replied, Have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, here's the miracle, when they'd all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. There's a whole lot in there. But let me zoom in on a couple of things for you. Verse 9, look for provision. Look beyond the obvious, beyond the limitations that you think are there. Verse 10, break it down, make it manageable. Verse 11, start, take action, do something, even if you don't know how it will turn out. And whenever I recount this story, I think, Jesus in the back of his mind must have had in mind, okay, well, you guys over here, uh, you get some fish and some bread, and sorry, by the time I get around to the centre aisle here, sorry, you guys need to come back next week. Honestly, that would have been my mind mindset as well. But it's a case of start. And when you start, that's where the miracle flows. Unless you don't start, then God can't do the rest. But you start and allow him to do the miracle. He adds the supernatural to the natural. Verse 12. Look towards the solution in faith. See the other side. So if you're one of those disciples, hopefully you try and have that mindset of, I don't think this is going to work, but I want to believe, so I'm going to do it anyway. And I kind of think they did have that mindset because otherwise, if they were so doubting, surely they would have said, I'm not doing that, Jesus. There's going to be a riot. I'm going to get to the third row and they're going to start stoning me. So there's no way I'm doing that. We don't read that. So I think they could see the potential of the other side. Now, they probably didn't see the whole 5,000, but hey, start somewhere and allow God to work with the rest of it. And uh, this is an amazing thing that I also think. This is also in verse 12, the very last part of verse 12. God's provision is not just necessarily for the immediate need. Why do I say that? Because gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So God is more than able to meet the immediate need and what is yet to follow. So need and God, it's about the future, but it's also for the current. All that tells me is that we need to be good stewards um, so that there's nothing in God that gets wasted. So that's my fourth point there. Uh, One plus one equals infinity. Basically, you bring what you've got, add it to God and look out. Anything is possible through Christ Jesus. So this whole message, really, it's been called Developing Your Gifts and Abilities, but I could reword it like this. Bring what you have. Bring your best. Do your best. Leave the rest to God. So that your one plus his one, the one, equals infinity.
And all of this, it's all been about by design. And let me tell you this, that every single one of us are designed by God for his plans and his purposes. And I don't know everybody, I don't know your stories here tonight and those that are listening on the podcast. I don't know where you are in this journey along with the the whole by design thing. And so by design, it all starts with coming to God. And it's so easy to do that. He's already sent his son, Jesus. That's how we get to go to God. And that was by design. That was God's design that he would make a way so that man could come to him. And Jesus would be the intermediary, the person that would stand in the middle. We get to come to Jesus. And all we need to do is say yes to you, Jesus. We need to ask him into our hearts, into our lives, receive his forgiveness. And that's how we connect to the Father. And it is simple as saying yes to Jesus. So let me show you up on our screen here. We've got a yes text way. This is uh, one of the simplest ways that you can do it. You simply text the word yes, Y-E-S. You text it to our special number here, 0488 826 392. That's all you need to do. You think, how can that work? Well, it works like this. If you mean it in your heart and you're saying yes via your phone screen, you are really saying yes to God. You're saying yes to Jesus and he will understand what that means. And so then what happens is that, and this is coming to our church, by the way, this is not a third party, this is our church that looks after this facility for you. What we will do then, we will send you a scripture, uh, a passage of the Bible and a prayer that accompanies that. You will actually get that for the next 30 days at 7am each day thereafter for 30 days. You can opt out anytime if you want to, um, but that's just a way to start you in understanding more about God. There's further 10-day series that you can opt into as well and be a part of that. Um, And if you don't want to have that via the mobile phone or maybe you haven't got a mobile phone, there's another way you can get exactly the same thing via our website and simply go to yes.metrochurch.org.au and the same thing. You get a text message or an email message every day for 30 days. That's the simplest and easiest way to do that. You might want to do that right now, maybe a little bit later on tonight. We get people doing this all times of the day and night. I've seen them come up on my phone as I bleary open in my eyes. 2.30 in the morning, they've come through sometimes. I'm not always awake at 2.30, but occasionally the phone lights up and there it is. Someone's texted yes at 2.30 in the morning. You can do that whenever. But let me give you an opportunity in this place right here tonight, and I'm going to ask for privacy and that you can actually say yes to Jesus right now. So if I could just have every eye closed, please, out of respect. And so if that's you, if you want to say yes to Jesus, you can still do the texting thing and you can speak to our Connect Hub as you leave the auditorium to the left-hand side there. But right now, as I'm looking around, I want to give you the opportunity to say yes to Jesus right now because it is his design that you come into the kingdom for such a time as this. So as a look around and all that will happen, I'll just ask you to put up your hand. You can put it down again when I've seen it. And then we will all pray together. And I'll be asking you to also pray this prayer, uh, just asking Jesus into your heart. So as I look around, anybody here tonight? And look, maybe this doesn't have to be the first time. Maybe you've fallen away from God. You've drifted away and you're not too sure if you're really as close to him as you need to be. Well, that's fine. You can also put your hand up. You can also say yes to him and get that connection factor back with God. So as a look around. And Father, I thank you for tonight. I thank you for this message. 
God, I thank you for this whole month that you've led us as a church to be looking at how you've designed and purposed our lives. Father, I pray for uh, this message tonight, but Lord, also every message throughout the entire month. God, that you will be sealing into all of our hearts those things that you want us to take on board, those things that you've spoken to each of us individually. It'll be different things for different people. God, I pray that all of us will continue to be changed. Lord, we'll look back in a year's time and see a completely different person by your grace and by the power of your spirit. I thank you for all of that in Jesus' precious name. Amen. 